All right, good. Let's start with prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, you have promised um, to restore us again to you, even when we wander and when we stray. We ask you to cast every idol from its throne and, and um, in our hearts reign as God and God alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, more from Zechariah. Zechariah. So today, last week was, was pretty gospel-y, if you like, good news. Remember last week, we had that famous section up here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you, right? He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, the coal fault of donkey. So Palm Sunday, Old Testament reading. And then uh, uh, we did talk about this, but it's going to come up again here in chapter 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. Do you remember who Ephraim was? Ephraim is one of the sons of Joseph. So he refers to Egypt. So he refers to Egypt, right, because his mother was Egyptian. Joseph married an Egyptian. Uh, I, I don't think that means Egyptian by birth. Not necessarily by faith. Uh, there's some suggestion that Joseph, um, that at least the household that was under Joseph, converted. right? But then, of course, by the time of the exile, is their faithfulness found in Egypt. There's actually even some, I, I'd have to go find it, but there's some perhaps archaeological evidence that there was a reign of Egyptian pharaoh where they were, they converted. Yeah, um, that would be interesting to find. But anyway, notice the chariot from Ephraim, so that's Egypt, the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow should be cut off. And he speaks peace, not just to them, but to the nations, right? East, west, north, south, from sea to sea and river to the ends of the earth. From the river, I would suggest, I think I said Euphrates, it could be the Nile. Because in today's reading, I'm pretty confident it's the Nile. So, obnoxious. People are obnoxious. Um, all right, so there's restoration, restoration, Greece, blood, blah, blah, blah. Ten. All right. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. That's a theme you've heard before, right? My ang uh, what is that? They're like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 9, I think. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herds. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as a ro his royal horse in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone. From him, the tent peg. From him, the battle bow. From him, every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men. Patrick, stop doing that with your cup, please. Thank you. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on, the, on horses shall be put to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I love this. I will whistle for them and gather them. I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. Oh, I don't know how much farther to go before we stop. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me from far in far countries. They shall live together with their children, and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. Shh. Quiet. He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. 
Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So that's why I said the river there is connected with the scepter of Egypt. So I think that's the Nile. So I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. All right. So, um, again, more language of the Lord restoring his people, right? Um, but as, as we talked about with Zechariah, remember Zechariah is after the exile in Babylon, or he's, he's, you know, they're coming back. A lot of them have come back anyway. He is uh, bringing in the language of the prophets who come before him. Esther, if you're going to be the hype that way, you need to go out in the hallway, please. Okay? Either be quiet or go in the hallway. That didn't get any better. All right. He uses the language of the previous prophets. So we hear, I mean, especially what we call the major prophets, major only because their books are big, not because they're more important necessarily. All right. So major prophets would be Isaiah. So there's lots of Isaiah here. Ezekiel. Ezekiel is longer than Isaiah, I think. It's more words. It's not more chapters. I think it's more words, though. Which, I mean, how many of you, how many of you have read through Ezekiel? All right, Ethan has. Yeah. Right. And it's pretty intense, too. Right. Um, I think even more violent, I would say, than, than Isaiah. Violent against our nature. And then Jeremiah, of course. We don't want to forget Jeremiah. Who did we forget? So it's three, right? Did we miss somebody? A major prophet? Is there Jeremiah? Yeah, he's not. He's part of the 12. All right. Or maybe he isn't. Yeah, we could say, we could put Daniel in there. Uh, although it's not a big book. All right. So he's, uh, Zechariah is doing like, actually what a great preacher does, which is pulls in the language of the, from the things that you know. All right. Um, so there's all sorts of allusions to scriptures. And like in your context, you will hear echoes of other scripture in a sermon, not necessarily cited as it's written by Paul and such and such. You'll just hear bits and pieces of language, right? Or a hymn or pieces of the catechism. All right. And so that's what Zechariah is doing. And all for the purpose of what? Uh, reinforcing the promises that the, that the prophets made but now it's saying that they're going to be brought into um, being now or into actuality. Although we did talk about this last week. Um, what's the profit? What's the problem with these prophecies? Are they physically manifest even in the lifetime of Zechariah or even in, even in the life and death and resurrection of Christ? Not exactly, right? There's always like uh, what I told you is could describe as now, but also not yet. In, in some ways, they're fulfilled, you know, for the people returning from exile. In some ways, they're fulfilled in the life of Christ. Uh, in some ways, they're not really fulfilled until the resurrection, the life everlasting. Make sense? Right? So, so we always leave it. What's the, oh, you want another technical word? You like technical words, right? Proleptic. Proleptic. We're living, looking forward. Pro. P-R-O-L-E-P-T-I-C, I think. I don't know. Here. Define proleptic. I know it sounds like proleptic, but let's not do that. Oh, no, I was supposed to push the button so it didn't keep going. An anachronistic representation of something as existing before its proper or historic time. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... A way to say something's proleptic is to say, today we gather before the altar of God with saints and angels and the whole host of heaven. Right? So we were in the resurrection. We, are, we live in the resurrection. But we represented, it was represented, but to eyes, to reason, we're not there yet. Right? But it was um, lived as if it's already true. I suppose that's a good way to put it. Right? So we live in the promise of the resurrection. We live in our we live in the eighth day, even though it has not. We haven't yet seen the resurrection. All right. Um, all right. So let's see what else. Anything else we want to talk? Uh, blah, 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 blah. No. Let's just go through it verse by verse. Before we do that, um, you got some things on the sheet. Shepherd. 
All right, it's important to note, actually, the note is, is really important. We think of shepherds in terms of like, what? Well, Christmas and sheep. No, I was, what kind of people? Yeah, lowly. What else? Kind of lower rung, right? Less, less than, like it was less than likely that the shepherds would be the first ones to hear the message of the angels, right? Yeah, they weren't well regarded in the society, which doesn't make any sense. Of course, of course the message is going to go to the shepherds first because the promise was to David, a shepherd, and to Moses, a shepherd, and to Isaac, a shepherd, and to Jacob, a shepherd, and to, who else? I mean, just Abraham, shepherd. I mean, who, did I mention Abraham? I think I did. They're all shepherds. They have flocks. Um, And so, uh, metaphorically then, it's used to refer to actually the leaders, um, the kings usually, but sometimes those before. David was a shepherd, and then he shepherds his people. So to be a faithful um, leader of God's people is actually to shepherd them. Good. Um, Verse 6, we have the house of Joseph. We already mentioned this before, but it's worth bringing up again, because here it's described as, yeah, the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. So not not just Ephraim, but also Manasseh, who's the other. Right? And then Ephraim is going to be mentioned in verse 7. Right, Those of Ephraim shall be a mighty man. This is really an interesting note because Joseph ends up being um, kind of like St. Paul. How? Remember, Paul says that he was one untimely born. Right, The Lord made him an apostle, but he, wasn't, but he was made an apostle after the earthly ministry of Jesus. So he was born out of time, but yet he's, he's blessed with the same kind of, um, with the same office, right? Um, and so he, he receives like uh, an extraordinary gift, really. Uh, Joseph is the same. His two sons each receive, receive a full share of inheritance of Jacob. So rather than taking Joseph's one share and splitting it into two, so each getting a half share, Jacob blesses both. Manasseh and Ephraim with a full share. So Joseph ends up, his household ends up receiving a double share, even though he's not the firstborn. Usually it's only the firstborn who gets the double share. Firstborn being? Judah. Judah, that's correct, right? Of course, Judah is is the line and lineage of the king, Jesus, right? But then you have this other, we have Joseph and these Egyptian sons who end up receiving a full share of inheritance too. Hmm, does that seem like a foreshadowing of something in the Christian church? Those who aren't a part of the nation, being brought into the nation, receiving the full inheritance? Hmm. Through baptism? Gentiles? Yes, of course, right. Yeah, these are Gentiles. All right, so you've got that. That's beautiful, isn't it? Nestled in there. And then verse 10, you have mention of um, Egypt and Assyria. Oh, and then Gilead and Lebanon. Those are also interesting. All right. So Egypt and Assyria, of course, those are like the biggest enemies. Egypt was the place of bondage. Assyria was also a place of captivity. And yet look at what what Zechariah says. Can you imagine? This would have been revolting, actually, to the people. This would be like saying um, to white nationalist Christians, which don't actually exist, but whatever, um, that, you know, actually, we'll use a better example. This would be like saying to a Mormon 50 years ago um, that black people would be included in their church. Of course, it's true now. But somehow they managed to set aside 100 years of doctrine in order to do something that was never permissible before. Because um, they, I, what do they say? I think they say that, they, that black folks are like the children of Cain or something? No, they were neutral, so they were cursed. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. So they, they didn't take aside, but they were cursed. Right. So can you imagine somebody came along and said a whole group of people that, that you believed were excluded from salvation are now included. And not worse than that, it's the people who have, been, who have either actually for hundreds of years took you into exile. 400 years had you in bondage. And now God says, you know what, I'm going to save them too. Right. Or if you prefer Romans or I don't know, just pick your people group. Right. You know, Oh, like you have Nazi war criminals or something. I don't know. Pick it. 
All right. So, uh, but notice these two other places. There's nothing on your sheet about this, but I think they're important too. Um, Gilead. You know who Gilead is? Anybody know Gilead? I mean, Lebanon, you know, just geographically, right? Where's Lebanon? That's north, way north, right? Lebanon is where they got the trees for the temple, Solomon, the cedars of Lebanon. Yeah, it's a wooded mountain range on the northern border of Israel. So not Judah, but Israel. Um, and, uh, of course, then, yeah, the trees of Lebanon, etc. All right, so again, pagans. This is close to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon's on the coast. Lebanon's in, Lebanon goes to the coast today. By the way, Lebanon is probably done as a country. I don't know if you follow the news on that. They're, they're so far bankrupt that there's no chance for them to even survive. They're just going to get sucked up by somebody. Their, their government has, I think they've had a no confidence vote like multiple times in the last year, and the government just gets overthrown again. Yeah, it's not a fun place to be. Just kind of a shame. It's not that big. Uh, anyway, we didn't, you didn't answer where Gilead is. All right, Gilead's a lot like Manasseh and Ephraim. Well, actually, there is a balm in Gilead. Yeah, Gilead is like smack dab in the middle Yeah, it, but it's on the other side of the Jordan, between the Arnon and the Jabbok, on the east side of, of the Jordan River, right? Right, so who was included in Gilead? Reuben, Gad, and there's Manasseh again. Manasseh, right? So again, uh, they, they were the first people to apostate, to leave. Even before Israel left and became heathens, um, and leaving only Judah, which was just Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes, and a little bit of Ephraim, um, the land to the east of the Jordan, they left a long time ago. They gave up on God long before anybody else. Right? So having them included as having being brought together with Assyria and Egypt is even more kind of incredible. Because he, these aren't just your enemies. These are, these are, these are the... Some that were of the left. What's that? They were part of the left. Yeah. What do we call people who are part and then they leave and they join the enemy? Traitors! Yeah. You might welcome your enemy, but would you welcome the traitors back? No. Yeah. All right. So that's pretty, pretty important stuff. It's a mutiny, that's correct. Well, a mutiny against God, right? Yeah. All right, I did mention the rain stuff actually in the sermon today um, because they, with a few exceptions, there's actually not a good water source in Israel. They, they entirely depend upon rain, All right? So there was a little, I didn't explicitly say that in the sermon. I was talking about just being in a desolate place. But even Israel, there's two, there's two rains and those two rain periods, without them, they're, they're, it's not all that fertile of a place. You have to go farther north for that. So they have a first rain, which is usually, which is connect, they use connected to the planting. Um, actually, the feasts and festivals that God appointed are assigned to the periods of rain. Go figure, right? Because feasts and festivals have to do with fertility. Yeah. Growth. Yeah. So you have a feast when you have food <laughs> or when God gives food. Um, so I don't know if I can remember this exactly. Feast of Booths, the first one, so like the feast. Of, that's the Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes called. That's the first rain, and that's the planting. Um, and then the Harvest Festival is the, like the Passover to Pentecost, right? And then that's when you have the second period of rain, um, and that's a, a different kind of rain usually. It's that sustaining, you know, just so that things can grow. But without those two periods of rain, uh, Luther runs with this. I went and found. We have a whole set of Luther's works. I don't know if you know that in the back. Well, not the, there's more volumes now, but an older set. Um, Luther actually talks about these two rain showers. And uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Let's see if I can find it. We're in chapter 10, right? Yep. Yeah. He says, uh, uh, Scripture in many places mentions a twofold rain. I have discussed it elsewhere in detail. The first is the one which enriches the earth so that it may receive what has been sowed. The other one wards off dryness after sowing has been received to water the growth, lest it wither. All right? Now, listen to what he does with this. The first rain was the teaching of the law. He says in substance, 
Quote, you have the prophets with you. They rebuke and restrain you with the law alone as with a sort of overseer. It is a difficult thing for you to endure these prophets. Therefore, I will give you another bit of advice. Leave the law. Ask for the second rain. Stick to the grain of young men and the fresh wine of maidens. This is the gospel, right? Then your consciences will be lifted up when the tyranny of the law has been removed. So long as you fear that tyranny, you must be afraid. You, will, you must carry a very heavy burden. All right? And then, I don't know, does it tell you where else he talks that way? Ah, they didn't, put the, they didn't give us a footnote. Well, anyway. So Luther analogizes the two reigns as being law and gospel. The first one, which is short and brief, right? And then moving on to the second reign. Um, I might do it a little bit differently. Uh, when, you're first, when are you first brought to the water? Baptism. Baptism, right, baptism, right? But I, I have to tell everybody who's baptized, there's no exceptions to this, anybody who brings a child to baptism, that, that God, when he specifically gives baptism in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Just like you learned in the catechism. And teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, which Luther didn't include in the quote in the catechism, unfortunately. Yeah, teaching. What is, what is the Lord's teaching? It's like the second rain, right? The one that sustains that which has been planted in baptism. Um, springs of living water, right? It's Jesus' word. He also calls it bread from heaven. Um, I don't know why this is such a problem for people. They don't seem to understand that, like... We have this in our liturgy, we have this in, in our hymnody, we have this all throughout scripture, of course, because that's what it's reflecting, that, that God sustains that which he plants. But somehow we cut ourselves off from the thing that sustains us. Don't understand, but, well, anyway. All right, so, um, the Lord will make, ooh, flashing clouds. Anybody have something different there? Lightning flashes. Lightning flashes. Interesting, the, uh, the Greek... The Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, translates that as uh, phantasmia. That's the Greek word from which we get phantasms, right? Some fantastic, like, appearances. The Lord will make the, 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 the phantasmia, the lightning, and give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. So without the rain, there is no, there's no grass, right? Unless the Lord... Uh, I mean, this is, the, this is kind of the thing that's so naive. Well, okay, I'm going to draw a parallel to the sermon again. I had more things that I wanted to say, but, you know, time. Small children. Let's not, let's not push the envelope too far, right? Um, you know, supply chain. Supply chain. People, you all know what that word means now, right? It's like, oh, so if, if... Like for us to have, I do this with, I always did this with catechism with children. Like what, what's required for you to have, you know, your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Like where does the bread come from? Well, from the store. Right. Yeah, right. You keep running backwards though. What do you ultimately always run up against? The grain, but is the grain going to sprout? Unless there's rain. Where's the rain come from? From cloud seeding with the climate people, right? And chemtrails and all that stuff. No. What causes the sun to shine? This is just like yesterday. What question? I don't know. You're talking. <laughs> you asked the question to think like who causes all this stuff to grow? Okay. I thought you were going to tell me more. All right. You don't remember the context. Thanks, Ethan. All right. Very good. Ian's only here for a couple more weeks, so enjoy him while he lasts. <laughs> we have to send him back. All right. Um, what else are we going to say? No, I think that's good. All right. For the idols, now this is, not, this is not a change of thought. This is really important. For the idols speak delusion, the diviners envision lies, and they, and they tell false dreams, they comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. All right. Now, it would be easy to say, okay, this is just change of thought, right? Now we're talking about idolatry in kind of a generic sense. No, this is very specific idolatry, I would suggest. What kind of idol? All the idols of, uh, of Canaan. So you've got El and 
I forget El's spouse, and then Baal is one of their children. Baal, you've heard of Baal, right? And Asherah is another. All right. And of course, they're, cons- they're consorts with each other. Baal is the god of lightning and of rain, amongst other things. All right. So what idols are they looking to? Like Baal. For what? For lightning and rain. Right? Um, but, of course, like with Elijah, they keep calling on Baal. And does Baal bring the fire down from heaven? The lightning to consume the sacrifice? No. They can't command Baal and his lightning to come down and light up the sacrifice. That's, how the, that's the fire from heaven, by the way, is lightning. Oh, makes sense. Now you understand. Right. Uh, or can they make it rain? Even if they flog themselves and cut themselves and chant and prance and all this sort of thing, are they going to get Baal's attention? No, because he's an idol. Now, the word here for idol is interesting. You can see this? I don't know if you can. Can you read that? The Hebrew? Teraphim? Sounds like, do we have other theme words? Yeah, like seraphim, right? It's in one of the angel, one of the angel categories, categories of angel. Yeah, seraphim. Teraphim, Terra, you know Terra. Earth. Earth, land, right. So this, this, is a, uh, this is a quote unquote angelic being that comes out of the earth. Meaning made by, made by man, made by hands, right? This is always the thing with idols. Who creates idols? We do. Our hearts, right? We form them. <laughs> we, give them we give them importance. Um, I think it's actually one of the great, great, uh, what do you want to say, deceits of the age is that our idols often don't have physical manif- um, iconography or manifestation um, with some exceptions. So we have all these idols, but they're not, they're, they're kind of fuzzy. It's not like you can say, here's my little idol statue, you know, like Indiana Jones, or Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? A little gold statue. It shows up again in another movie. What movie was that? Where it's in the background. Oh, uh, Solo. Oh, no. Wait. Yeah, the guy who has all the stuff. Oh. You know, all the, the collector guy? Yeah, he's got the little statue from Raiders of the Lost Ark in the background. Anyway, doesn't matter. That's really not important at all. <laughs> idols. So the idols speak delusion. Like, if you call on us, it'll rain. Right? Or lightning. That's delusional. The diviners, so that's the people with their. <laughs> I don't. I, I'm not exactly sure if that doesn't work. I'm not confident. Seems the divining rod thing. Yeah. Something about it. And actually, what it, what I suspect it is is that there's actually um, we know this that there's electrical currents that run through the ground, and so then the especially metallic, but the stick can you can sense the current, and then that follows the aquifers anyway, or they follow it. Um, they tell false dreams. They comfort. There's the key. They comfort in vain. Right? So they speak words of comfort. Uh, peace, peace. But where there is no, no peace. Yeah. Right? But again, it's all connected to this lack of fertility, ultimately. Right? No grain, no grass. Because there's no rain. Uh, therefore, the people wend their way like sheep, looking for... Why do, the, why do the sheep wander? They need food. Looking for grass and water. Right. Right. Like, this is why, you know, you heard it in the sermon. I mean, we want to be honest about this. That, like, why would we wander away from the church? Because we want something that we're not getting there. Right? And maybe it's something that wasn't promised. Hopefully that's the case. Right? But, oh, it's like I got to go somewhere else to, to have my, my belly filled or my, my head filled with... False dreams and vain comforts, right? But that, that's what we want. That's why sheep wander. They are, are in trouble, afflicted? Yeah, that's fine. Because there is no shepherd, right? How long can that stand? By shepherd again, who, what are we talking about? Yeah, there's no king, right? Yeah, there's no one shepherding. That'd be a good way to say it. They are afflicted because there's no one shepherding. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't people that were appointed to shepherd. They're just not doing the job. This is what happens with the kings. Do the kings protect the people? No, they go to war. They go to war. 
Um, here's an interesting note. Um, very, this only happened a few times. One of the mandates from God for the kings of, of Israel, and then ultimately just Judah, Israel forsakes this when they split, is that they're required before they even take office as king to copy the Torah, the books of Moses, by hand and have their own personal copy. Now, I don't know. Anybody watch Book of Eli? I mentioned it. All right, you should watch Book of Eli. It's actually, if you like post-apocalyptic things, it's fun because it also deals with the Bible. But um, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is like, how long do you think it would take you to copy out by hand with accuracy Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Well, please And then what? What if you're also going to copy? Whatever of the nef- uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the prophets, right? Yeah, right. So that was a requirement. Mm, I don't remember who did it. I probably two, probably Josiah and maybe Nehemiah. Those might be the only two that actually did it, right? Why would you copy out the Bible by hand? Because if you write it, you have to read it and know right. it for the sake of memory. That's right, right. So not only so that you know God's word. And then you can shepherd God's people. Can you shepherd them by just being a wise? Well, can you even be a wise ruler without knowing God's word? We would say no. This is why we pray for that, that our rulers would actually listen to, G- listen to God and his word. So, you know, because w- otherwise there's no wisdom. It's just, well, the kind of things we see. All right. All right. So they're in trouble because there's no one shepherding. Ah, how does God feel about this? What does he think about this? Considering the sh- concerning the shepherds, my anger, my wrath. It's actually wrath. I don't know why we do anger. Wrath. Remember, God's judgment against sin. And I will punish um, concerning the goat herds. Hmm. The leaders. It's the he goats. So now he's calling those who are supposed to be shepherd male goats, billy goats, I guess is what we would say, right? Is that right? Male goats or billy goats? Yeah, exactly. They're just idiots. That's right. Billy goats. I will punish them, right? And uh, notice again, here it is, the Lord of hosts, also known as the Lord Yahweh Sabaoth, right? Right? The Lord of the armies will visit his flock. That's quoting, uh, that's quoted in the, the, which one? Magnificat or... Elizabeth's song. The Lord has visited and redeemed his people. That's the... Benedictus? Yes. Yeah, okay. The house of Judah, and I will make them as a royal, uh, a majestic horse in battle. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Because we've talked about this. Israel doesn't have horses, and now God is going to make them something that they've never been before. Yeah, so I think that's interesting. Uh, notice, we have a switch. We, we haven't talked about this. There's actually, the the speaker keeps switching and this New King James tries to indicate that with these breaks. You see the little paragraph break right there? A little break after grass in the field for everyone. Because it's like the Lord speaks, then Zechariah is speaking as prophet and then the Lord speaks and it's like back and forth. It's sometimes hard to tell who's talking. Because like verse two there, that's just Zechariah the prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord. But then verse three, that's clearly the Lord speaking directly, right? Yeah. And then verse 4, it switches back to like general description. So just watch for that. Um, but notice when God speaks, I, right, I, the Lord of hosts, I will do it. And you're going to see more of that. Um, then verse 4 is pretty neat because it says from him, you have all these pictures, like four different analogies, right? The cornerstone. Now that language you know quite well. This is Psalm 118. Psalm right. Christ is the cornerstone. He's the rock the builders have rejected. Um, has become the chief cornerstone. What what else? Come through the whole list of them, right? They're probably here. It's actually from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, I lay in Zion a, a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. All of those are based upon Isaiah. Zechariah is just referring to Isaiah again. All right, so you know all about that, Christ. I'm trying to think. We have hymns on this, right? Christ is a sure foundation. Christ is our cornerstone. Our very help in Christ alone. Yeah, we use that all over the place, that language. 
All right, from him, this one's interesting. The tent peg. They're like, what? Another name, another name for Jesus. The tent peg. Wow. It, the tent peg functions the same way as the cornerstone for a building. The tent peg for a tent. Without the tent peg, what happens? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, although there is a note uh, in the one commentary I looked at here saying that um, it was common that they actually would drill a hole in the cornerstone and actually drive a peg into it as well. I don't know. That seems kind of weird. This is quoting from Isaiah 22. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become the glorious throne to his father's house. Right? So that's thinking of Jesus more and less in terms of a stone-based building and more in terms of the tabernacle, right? Right. The word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. All right, now from him, the battle bow. Stop playing with the lights, please. Children. From him, the battle bow. All right, so that's another. Um, God is our a strong, yeah, refuge and strength. That would be the first two, but I'm trying to think about. Yeah, he's our, um, the right hand language, right? Christ is to God's right hand. And from him, every despot all together. Uh, despot, overseer, right? So he's cornerstone, tent peg, bow for war, and also uh, every overseer is under him. So he's the Lord of... Lord of... Lords. Lords of Lords, right. Uh, then, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, mighty men. I don't know why it's translated as mighty men. It, it probably is better translated as uh, just warriors, right? Yeah, the warriors. They shall be like the warriors who tread down their enemies. That sounds like a psalm. Putting all our enemies under our feet, right? In the mud or the mire of the streets in the battle. They, who are they? <laughs> Don't you love it when it just like, there's a, there's an, uh, what do you call that? Pronoun, but what's the noun that it refers to? Who are they? The shepherds. It's the shepherds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. They shall, right. No, they, they, the ones who are the mighty men fighting against are the shepherds, but it's the, it's his flock that will become like mighty men. Right? To tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets of battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. Right? Now that's important because, you know, again, like we talked about in the sermon, like why are you worried about bread? Don't you remember the story? I mean, there's not enough stories in the Bible. God provides his bread even in the midst of a famine or in the midst of desert. Right? So what's your problem? Right? Well, of course, our problem is doubt and unbelief. One of you is going to go have to resolve this situation. All right. Then, um, but the same thing's here, right? Like, oh, well, God's, en- you know, the enemies are so terrible and they're going to destroy us, right? And you're like, don't you remember your stories? Like, who fought for you? God did. Did you defeat, I mean, I'm speaking to you as if you're Israel. Did you defeat the, the hosts of, of Canaan? Did you destroy their armies? Did you, dis- did you defeat the Philistines? No, you didn't. That's right. The Lord of hosts did it. Right? Who fought for you? Our valiant one. Right? As we sing in the hymn. You're, gonna ha- you're just going to have to deal with her. She's, not, she's only going to be so patient. All right. I will. Now, again, it's going to switch. Right? Because there was, there was Zechariah. They, they, they. Who, who, who. Now, verse 6, it switches back to I. Meaning, who's speaking? The Lord of hosts. I, and notice, so that means he's doing all the verbs. This is all gospel then, also, right, for us. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, which includes Ephraim and Manasseh, right? I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. So here is another way that, that God's prophet is, is confessing the integration of Gentile into the host, into the, what do you want to say? The future kingdom, right? The church. And because I have mercy on them. Even like a Samaritan? Right? Exactly. 
That's what we had yesterday, right? The Samaritan leper is what we read yesterday. Okay. Now you know what you're talking about? They shall be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. All right? So there's the prodigal son. Right? The, the father treats the prodigal as if none of it even happened. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you, we're not good at this. Uh, we have this thing. What do we like to do? Oh, we call it uh, holding a grudge. Right? Uh, we're all, you know, I was told this, you know, it's to like forgive someone is to forget. Right? To forgive is to forget. Remember that? Well, that's true for God. And it ought to be true for us, but it realistically isn't. Right? Do we, do we ever forget the sins committed to us? Some of us actually, you know, have like early onset dementia, so it works out pretty well, right? Yeah, we do. We're just selected. I, people always wonder, like, Pastor, don't you remember? And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. And it's like, didn't we already watch this movie? I'm like, she's like, you know what's going to happen? I'm like, no, I don't remember. That's why I want to watch it again. It's like, and as we're going, I'm like, oh, I think, oh, now I, oh, nah. it's really? You know, it's, I don't remember it at all. Yeah. Well, it's a good story. That's right. Right. I do that because I don't even actually remember it. Oh well. Um, right. So forgive and forget. Right. But that the kind of forgetfulness that God has, even for Ephraim and Manasseh, for Manasseh in particular, has not been faithful to God in a thousand years. <laughs> And then he treats them as if he had never even rejected them. How's that for a restoration, right? So the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, the robe, right? The fatted calf, welcome back, right? Um, this is also a picture for, for how we receive people into the church. Um, I know that you want to uh, hold, you know, hold people accountable for all the things that they've done. We don't actually do that with the church, do we? I mean, they come back and we treat them as if they never left, which is how the Lord ought to treat us. Um, they, they think we're going to remind them, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. What's been going on? Um, maybe we could say it in the other way and say, you know, we haven't seen you in a while. You know, there's something we can help you with, right? And, and make it be merciful and not judgment. But there you go, right? And that's how the Lord treats us. Thank God for that. All right, so those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as if wine. All right, that's actually not a bad thing. Um, you know, well, did, yeah, well, I mean, wine is given to gladden the heart of men. That's what the psalmist says. Um, and also, you can become drunk on wine. So not so good. Be like Noah and pass out drunk naked. You, you didn't learn that story in, in Sunday school? This is the most amazing story. No, there's many amazing stories in the Bible. We, I've told you this. We didn't have Oh, you didn't have Sunday school. Right, right, right. So your pastor didn't teach this story to you? So Noah and his family, eight souls and all, saved, right? They come through, right? They, they land on dry land, and then after however many days, the ark, God opens the ark, and they are able to exit, right? Out, right? And then pretty soon thereafter, he causes, um, apparently, the vineyards to grow, because Moses has wine, unless he packed it on the boat. I doubt it, because he would have probably drank through it all on the boat. That was a year, what was a year and a month on the boat? So I'm sure whatever wine he brought was all long gone by that point. Um, I mean, it's a boring trip. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Uh, that's funny. I'm adding, I'm adding a little detail for color here. <laughs> on a boat with a bunch of stinky animals? Right. Well, can you imagine that the, the wives of his sons have to live with your in-laws for a year in a stinky boat? Yeah, right. Right. Find the shovel. Just, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so some reason, or whatever, the next story we get is the vineyards have grown, they've got the wine again, and Noah's passed out drunk naked in his tent. You know. So remember, before the flood... God said that the, the intents of the heart are exceedingly wicked constantly. Noah gets off the boat, the one whom he saved, and the intents of his heart are exceedingly wicked constantly. <laughs> it's like, what actually changed because of the flood? Yeah, let's that not, not go there. Right. <laughs> All right, so wine can be misused. Here, that's not what it is. This is, this is the, 
This is the picture that Isaiah talks about. Isaiah actually mentions this, about, about drinking wine and not getting drunk, right? Which is the picture of the resurrection. Drunkenness is the result of the fall. We'll just put it that way, right? That our livers can't handle it, <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Uh, Psalm 104, 15. There it is. And wine that makes glad the heart of man. Oil to make the face shine and bread which strengthens man's heart, right? Because remember what they use oil for? What we use soap for. To use oil to cleanse, not water. Because water was scarce, right? Yeah, wine and bread. Hmm. Go figure. I wonder why. Yeah, and oil. And we already had grass here. Being fed. Yeah. Um, let's see. And again, remember, it's Ephraim, all right? Not some people we would expect. So Zechariah, I would suggest, is he's re- He's reorienting the purpose of the exile. It's not just about God restoring what was there before. I think this is really important for us. Um, because, oh, I, I, saw the, I saw this over here. I don't know who put these. Probably Ron, right? Did he find these? Probably. Yeah, Ron did. Yeah, Ron did. Right? So here's the fundraiser um, to expand the school. I don't know what year this is. There's no date. And the, and the, the floor plan isn't exactly what was built. So, I don't know, Marlene probably remembers. It's four classrooms and a multi-purpose gym. That was the, right. Yeah, okay, so this is the, yeah, the one that, yeah, regret, right? It would have been nice to build it back there. I, yeah, this yeah. would have been really helpful. But regardless, that's all right. You get what you get. Um, I'm looking at this. Why, why did I bring this up? Oh, because it has statistics in it, right? And everybody tells me, oh, don't you remember, don't you, you found it, yeah, you have one. Don't you remember, you know, how big the school was and how many kids were enrolled and blah, 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 right? And then you look, in uh, 1848, number of students, 22. Oh, no, that's Sunday school. Uh, they didn't track. We didn't have Sunday school. No, Sunday school wasn't until 53. All right. So 1948, there's 22 kids in the school, right? Of course, it peaks in 1964. Big surprise there at 110, right, or so, right? And then it drops by 71 back down to like 50 some, 55 maybe, right? And then, so this whole thing about like there was this golden age, right? And everything, let's, let's get back to when it was magical and... and no, well, it's sick, yes, cyclical. Secular. Cyclar. Cyclical. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. When did Adel have their when did Adel have their school? Yeah. So that's regarded to the enrollment, because some of them would have gone to the school. Yeah, 71. Right, exactly. My, the, my point. The point is, you're never going to go back to that because you're not that anymore, right? God has something new in store for you, right? He's always changing. Things are always changing, right? Uh, maybe there's some things that can be restored that are good, godly, you know, and good, right? But in other cases, it's like, well, no, you, you can only be the school that you're given to be today. You can't be the school that you want to be if you're, not, if you're not that, right? All right, same thing with it. Same thing with God's people. When he restores them from exile, are they going to be the same as they were before? Of course not, right? Never mind. He actually has something even better in store, which isn't fulfilled in the history of Israel, but is fulfilled in the history of the church, right? Which you have people from all nations and tribes and languages and tongues confessing and be, being brought in. And then, oh, this, this delightful expression. I mean, it's, it's literally what it says. Uh, I will whistle for them and gather them. You know, like we're, uh, what? I, did anybody know how to do that really loud whistle thing with your fingers? I, know. Uh, I was hoping somebody could demonstrate it. <laughs> I never learned. Sorry. I don't know what it, I don't know how to do it. I mean, I understand the physics of it, but right. I will most certainly whistle for them, right? And what's the expression? That's Isaiah 5. He will lift up a banner to the nations from afar and will whistle to them from the end of the earth. You know, like, uh, what do you whistle for? Maybe it's like a shofar. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's whatever you make the sound and they follow you, right? But that's the shepherding language too. 
They know my voice and they follow me, Jesus says, right? The shepherd, shepherd's whistle for the sheep. Oh, it says it right here on the sheet. Yeah, shepherd's whistled for the sheep as a way of gathering them. When did he whistle for Israel? Through his word. That's how he does it, right? For us too. Yeah. Does it sound like a whistle? It sounds more like a church bell. It's noticeable. Yeah. For I will redeem them. That's an important word. Again, he's just drawing in sort of all sorts of language from all over the place. Redemption, the language of, say, Ruth, but also um, later Isaiah 52, 53. Redeeming, meaning that you, there's a debt owed for your life, and God pays it. Okay? And they shall increase as they once increased. So, so they're going to actually start bearing children again, which that would be a beautiful thing to see. Right? Their children shall see it and be glad. Right? And there'll be more children born. Um, it's hard to know, but it sounds, what's, what it sounds like is being suggested here is that when they were in exile, they stopped having children. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't the case in Egypt because they ended up overwhelming the Egyptians. There were so many of them. Right? Uh, what's, I think the estimate coming out of, out of Egypt was probably 7 to 9 million. That's how many Hebrews there are. Can you imagine that many people wandering through the wilderness? Yeah. That's like a whole country. It's like a whole, it's like Chicago, yeah. <laughs> Chicago wandering in the, well, they probably will exile, go into, actually start wandering away from Illinois pretty soon. Enough of this. I More I could be said. Uh, but we'll just leave it there. That's enough. There was another thing, Zechariah 2. We had it back there too. Um, I will sow them among the peoples and they will remember me from even the faraway places they will remember me. So again, it's like what was before is no longer and that's actually a good thing because he's repented his people but he's also gathering in more people and his name, he's already looking forward to, to the era of the church, Acts 2, where his name is being remembered even in far off lands, right? So like at Pentecost, there are people from Rome and from Egypt and from Crete. Crete and yeah, anything good come from Crete? Oh no, that's a different place. <laughs> anything good come from Nazareth, right? Oh yeah, no, it is Crete, right? What did Paul say about the Cretans? Um, we even use that like Cretan to describe like some kind of like derogatory, you know, slovenly, you know, like a caveman or something. Apparently, that's still around. Do you know Cretan people? I don't know. Oh, you're Polynesian. I didn't know you were. Oh, I suppose name. I didn't even think about it. Okay, great. No, the Yeah. I like the Greek people. Did I? Did you see? No, I probably didn't share this with you. That of all the people who are the most like um, ethnocentric, it's the Greeks. Even today, like they're like so proud of their heritage and they don't want anybody to do anything to it. Uh, like 80%, 90%. Most of Europe is just like, hey, whatever. Right? And the Greeks are like, no, stay out of our country. Go away. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, Giannis. Giannis, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I suppose. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about Yanni. No, that's a different guy. <laughs> Vangelis died. He was good, too. I like Vangelis. Um, anyway, speaking of Greeks... Uh, where do we go? Where do we go? Oh yes. So his word, so his name and word is going to go out, and they're going to remember him even in far off lands, including Egypt, Assyria. This is none of this is fulfilled um, until after after Pentecost and the sending of the disciples and the scattering at the destruction of Jerusalem, right? Where they have to, they literally have to leave, right? And then his word goes out, or Paul doing his missionary journeys too. Until no more room. Okay, I'll bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. So there you go. They're being scattered into Gilead, across the Jordan, into Lebanon, the far north country, right? He shall pass through who? Now, so it's, it changes voice here again because it's not I anymore. Now it's he. So now it's, I know this is so confusing, right? But now it's Zechariah speaking about the Lord. He shall pass through the sea with affliction, right? Now, we talked about that in the sermon today. 
right? That's fulfilled in Jesus directly. Did he go through the sea with affliction? Right? It was asleep in the stern of the boat, but you get the idea. Right, and that's just what I was going to say, is that here um, Zechariah is using going through the sea as a metaphor for affliction. To go through the sea is to be afflicted. It's not just the sea of affliction, is that how it's said here? Or with affliction. But the sea is the metaphor, going through the sea. Um, you know, like with the mountain, so with the sea, and so with the desert. You're all like, eh, it's fine, we'll make it through, right? Have you ever tried to drive through the desert? You have? Yeah. I mean, not, never mind it's boring, but like, like what happens, I mean, thankfully cell phones and all that kind of stuff today and patrols, but, but mm, before that, like if, like if your camel died in the, in the desert, you die. Well, I guess you could eat the camel. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I remember driving through Nova Scotia. It was the same story. It's like, there's nothing. There's no gas stations. I hope you filled up before you at the border. I hope you make it to the other end. Sheesh. Um, same thing with the sea. You're like, oh, the sea, it's fine. It's good. It's like, uh, n- there's a few stories about shipwrecks. I think you've probably read about these things. The sea is not kind to you. It, it doesn't cooperate with you. It does, it does what it wants to do, right? Uh, and then the same thing with mountains. You're like, oh, I'll just climb to the top of the mountain. No, no problem, right? Mm. Uh, all it takes is like all the things that you trust in for your safety and security, take those away from you. You can't survive on a mountain any more than you can survive at sea, right? Throw you overboard and what's what happens? Right, exactly. Or in the desert, right? Yeah, they're all violent. They're all violent. We just, we had, again, we have this just false sense of security about them. And then, uh, what was that movie, Perfect Storm, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about not being safe at sea. That was Mark Wahlberg, wasn't it? Yeah, Clooney. Yeah. All right, um, anyway, so that's, a flex- that's the description of... Uh, actually, what's the Lord going to do? He's going to go through that. Notice that? He will go through affliction and he will throw waves into the sea and all the depths of the rivers will dry up, right? And then he, and the pride of Assyria will be brought down and the scepter of Egypt will depart, right? So the Lord's going to go through this in order to destroy, how do we say it in the Psalm today about, or was it in the Psalm today? Maybe it was a different Psalm. But like, what does he do with all the kings and with all the lords who rebel? Yeah, he casts them down, right? He brings them to nothing. All right. And then, so I will strengthen them. Now we're back to the Lord's voice, right? I will strengthen them in the Lord. Huh, strengthen. Probably not the best translation. It is gibarti, which is... um, very specific to strengthen for warfare. Yeah, I will warriorize them, if you like, in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. Who is he warriorizing? All those that he brings back, all those that he sends out into Gilead, his people, the ones whom he shepherds. That's, of course, Jesus speaking there. Yeah, that is Jesus speaking there. Uh, I'm trying to think what would be a good... Good hymn for this. I mean, one that you know really well. It's basically the church militant section, which we don't sing very often because we don't want to be too militant because then, because it, you know, then the government's going to come after us because those Christians want to, you know, they want to fight. Yeah, that's in the church militant. Right. We'll, we'll do one of the more, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, militaristic onward Christian soldiers because it even has a marching tune. Don't think you want to march in. Right, uh, but but it's true, right? Even as like, what do you want to say? Basic, the text is. I mean, text isn't all that terribly eloquent, but that doesn't matter. It's still true. Uh, how's it go? Onward, Christian soldiers marching, as to war, as to war. Hmm. With the cross of Jesus going on before Christ, the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go, right. 
So it's describing the Christian life as one of being at war, right? But who's, who marches before us? Yeah, Christ Jesus, right? Which we already had in this text. Yeah, Christ crucified. Um, and they shall walk up and down his name. So his, his name is our standard, our battle standard, and we are the warriors. And um, so I've described it this way for you. I think I got this from Luther or somebody. You know, is that the, the role of the Christians in this is it, we're, in, we're just in the mop-up. You know, after the warfare has ended. The victory is done. We sing that at Easter every year, right? Christ defeated sin, death, and devil at the cross. So what's left to fight? Hmm? What's left to fight? <laughs> our own flesh. <laughs> fight against our flesh. Um, but also, uh, you know, they're defeated. But they, uh, as Peter says, you know, the devil ro roams about as the defeated enemy. He has not yet been cast into hell, you know, eternally. That's on the last day, right? He has no authority over you, but yet um, you should give him that authority sometimes. Yeah. Isn't this beautiful, though? It's like, because all of the I language, I meaning God, I will strengthen them, I will bring them, I will bring them back, I will sow them, um, they shall remember me. I will whistle for them. I will redeem them. I am the Lord their God. I have mercy on them. I will save them. I will strengthen them. Or the house of Judah, right? I will punish the goat herds, right? The false shepherds, right? All of that, that's all. Well, if it's the Lord doing it, then it's, and it's good for you, then it's gospel, right? Good news. All that the Lord will do. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe this, is, maybe this is a good way to put it. I mean, Zechariah, he wants to restore um, to Israel and Judah and to the people coming back from exile. Uh, he, he wants to actually, by the Spirit, destroy any thought that they're the ones who are doing the restoration. That's the first point. That they're not the ones who are going to restore this land. They're only coming back from exile because the, the hand of the Lord was upon Cyrus and Darius and you know, and their time of exile was ended according to the Lord's will, right? The restoration, ultimately the restoration that is the picture of the church and the eternal life, it's the Lord's doing, start to finish, right? And their role is, um, as we confess, purely passive. Purely passive. Uh, I would even say blessedly passive, right? Because think about what that does for your conscience, if it's the Lord doing it, and you don't have to do it. Never mind you don't want to do it. You're gonna, even if the Lord told you to do it, you would either resist or at least be reluctant, right? Like That sounds like a lot of work. No, thank you. Right? No, I'm going to do it for you, whether you want it or want it not, <laughs> um, because that's who I am. Right? It's like, well, what, what can I contribute to this, Jesus? Uh, be still, right? And listen, receive. Like, oh, so I can just be at peace? I can just just be here? Just have it? Yes. What do I have to do? Nothing. <laughs> really? Yeah. And if you try to do anything, what's going to happen? You're just going to get in the way. <laughs> so just get out of the way. Right? Let him do it. That's beautiful. Of course, we're going to see what happens because uh, Zechariah, hmm, it, doesn't, it doesn't get better. He does warn them what's going to happen because they are going to try to... It's not so much that they're going to try to get in the way of the Lord, but they're going to try to tell the Lord how to do the job. That's nothing new, right? What kind of kingdom they think they want, how to build them, what they're going to be grounded in, how to be shepherds, right? And so, uh, yeah. Oh, you can see the header. <laughs> we had lots of gospel this week. So uh, you, can, you can enjoy that, and I'll spare you any law for the remainder of the day. Because next week you'll get it. Full force. All right, good. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together in your Son, into your church, um, to be fed, to be nourished, to be watered, to be planted, to be strengthened, uh, to be built up in the faith of your Son. We ask that you continue this work amongst us um, and that you bring the whole host of those whom you have elected and chosen into your fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. You're most welcome.
We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.